Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible. Yes, we read entire books here, not just one scripture of the Bible, full chapters. And of course, I share commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word. Hey, since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith, walk in God's grace by learning Bible truth. Hi, Saints. Welcome to the third and final episode of Is Everything Ordained of God? This episode, or shall I say series, is taught by my brother in Christ, Pastor Frederick K. Price Jr. He is the pastor of Crenshaw Christian Center located in Los Angeles, California. So I want you to sit back and relax and enjoy. I've been discussing... that which is ordained of God. And uh, we've had, I believe, two thought-provoking lessons thus far. I believe I'll be able to wrap this thing up today. But our lesson is, is everything, is everything, asking a question, ordained of God? Is everything. And so this has been our discussion in the process of finding out, is everything ordained? We also came across another word, which is foreknow or foreknowledge. And so we looked at some scriptural references uh, for ordained. For example, over in Psalm 8, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that God has ordained strength. It also tells us that God has ordained the moon and the stars. And if God has ordained the moon and the stars, then it's probably safe to say that everything else in the cosmos, he's ordained. So the scripture tells us a number of things that he's ordained. And that word ordain means to establish or order. It means to establish or order by appointment, decree, or law. Ordain is to establish or order by appointment, decree, or law. So so some words that are synonymous with ordain would be establish, order, appoint, um, foreordain, words in these lines. Now, another word we looked at is foreknow. Foreknow is defined as this, to have previous knowledge of. To have previous knowledge of or to know beforehand. You know of a thing before it happens. You know of something before it occurs. For God, it's a part of his makeup. Part of being God. And If you would like to to uh, submit your application in to to become Lord of the Universe, uh, a few of the things you need to understand are uh, are part of the prerequisites or qualifications for being God would be to know all things. So if anyone in here is omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent, then you qualify to be God. If not, you don't qualify. So a part of being God is knowing everything before it happens, knowing the end at the beginning. Man also can have foreknowledge of something by revelation. And what's that revelation? A look into the mind of God. God has privileged you to see something or know something before it happens. Prophets in the Old Testament did it all the time. I mean, it happens in the church today in a slightly different manner, but it happened all the time throughout Scripture. So to ordain is to establish or order or appoint, but to foreknow is to have previous knowledge of. To know beforehand. Now, according to 
Romans 8.29, there is a difference between something being ordained and something being foreknown. Everything is foreknown. Nothing caught God off guard. Nothing surprised him. But watch this. Not everything that is foreknown is ordained. Not everything that is foreknown has been appointed. Not everything that is foreknown has been decreed by God. That's the difference between foreknowledge and ordination. Now we look at the condition that the world is in and we wonder, is God responsible for everything happening in the earth? The answer is no. As a matter of fact, I want to read a commentary. This, this really ministered to me. Uh, it's from a study Bible. Excellent pastor and teacher by the name of Dr. Jack Hayford. Anyone familiar with that name? Excellent teacher of the word. I want to read you something that he wrote. So if you want to disagree with it, you can disagree with him. Before the fall. Everyone say before the fall. Dr. Jack Hayford states, the original order, everyone say original order. order. Watch this. The original order of man's environment on earth must be distinguished from what it became following the impact of man's fall. The curse and the eventual deluge, the agricultural, zoological, geological, and meteorological disharmony to which creation became subject must not be attributed to God. Must not be attributed to God. Listen up. The perfect will of God as founding king of creation is not manifest. Let me read it again. The perfect will of God as founding king of creation the perfect will of God is not manifest in the presence of death disease, discord, and disaster any more than it is manifest in human sin. Our present world does not reflect the kingdom order. Our what? Present world does not reflect the kingdom order he originally intended for man's enjoyment on earth, nor does it reflect God's kingdom as it shall be ultimately experienced on this planet. Understanding this, we should be cautious not to attribute to God's will or acts of God those characteristics of our world that resulted from the ruin of God's original order by reason of man's fall. Did you get that? I love the way he says, we must be cautious not to attribute to God's will that which is a result of the fall of man. When man sinned, a spiritual cataclysmic event took place. Disorder happened. God's original plan for man was, I won't say thwarted, because the plan of God is not thwarted, but was temporarily stalled as a result of Adam's disobedience. Not as a result of disobedience, but as a result of Adam's disobedience. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, Lucifer had already disobeyed, but that had nothing to do with the order of God for man on this earth following Adam. It wasn't until he disobeyed that things were thrown out of order. And as a result of Adam's disobedience, what God originally intended for man was, as I said, temporarily stalled. What happened when he disobeyed? Sin came into the world. Sin entered the world as a result of Adam's disobedience. God didn't desire or intend for sin to be in the earth. But he told the man, don't eat from this tree. In the day that you eat of it, you'll what? You'll surely die. Oh, guess what else came into the world? Death. Sin entered the world because of his disobedience. Death entered the world because of his disobedience. Watch this. Sickness entered the world because of his disobedience. Disease entered the world. Right? Bondage entered the world. Depression entered the world. Pestilence entered the world. Famine entered the world. The curse entered the world. It all entered the world when Adam disobeyed. None of what we're experiencing now 
outside of the church and even in the church. The church, is, the church does not look the way the church should look right now. The church is supposed to be eating in the earth. The church is the light of God in the earth. Should be. We have a few issues we need to work out. But nevertheless, all those things that I mentioned, it's not a reflection of the kingdom of God or the order of God. It is here as a result of Adam's disobedience. Well, guess what? Guess what else is here as a result of Adam's disobedience? Suffering. See, we need to have a, a complete understanding of, of why we suffer, why some suffer, why suffering is here. Just because suffering is here doesn't mean it's God-ordained. But he did what? Have foreknowledge of it. You ask, well, if God had foreknowledge of all these things, why would he let it happen? He has to let it play out. If God prevents something, watch this, before it happens... What is he doing? He's violating the will of man, even though man hasn't exercised his will yet. Imagine, watch this. Imagine God stopping everyone from sinning before they sinned. Well, he'd have a constant job. It will be constant, consistently, consistently, consistently. God, he, he, he can't stop something before it happens just because he has foreknowledge of it. He has to let it play out because, because he can't violate man's will. Stopping something 100 years before it happens is still violating the will of man. So just like what? Just like he let Adam take from that tree and eat of that fruit? He, every single person that has entered this world. Every sin you committed, every trespass you've committed, he let you do it. He allowed you to do it. Why? Because God allows everything. But what we want to know is within, every, within everything that he allows, what is ordained? What, what has been predestined or destined? Now let's go over to Romans 8, 17. This is where we left off. We want to find out why are some Christians suffering. We know why suffering is here. We know how it arrived. The disobedience of the head of the human race allowed suffering into the world, and now it's here. So, so what do we as Christians, what, what do we do with suffering? How do we deal? How do, how do we manage? How do we overcome so let's look at some suffering scriptures. Romans 8, 17. Are you there? Yes. Watch this now. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I want to look at this particular verse from two angles. Angle number one is a past angle that has to do with identification. A past angle that has to do with identification. What do I mean when I say identification? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 3, beginning with the 26th verse, you make your way down to somewhere around the 29th verse, and the scripture tells us, between these three, and four, three or four verses, we find out that there is neither male nor female. We find out that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We find out that there is neither slave nor free, for all are one in Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm in a sanctuary right now. I see males and females all around. We're not talking about you. We're talking about who you've been identified with. And so since you, male, and you, female, have been identified with Christ, there is no you, male. There is no you, female. All I see is Christ. It's called identification. So as a result of identification with Christ, guess what? When Christ suffered, so did we. 
All right, we're looking at the we're looking at the past view. We're going to deal with a present view and a future view, but we're looking at a past view of this particular scripture where it says, if indeed we suffer with him. Well, I want to say this to you, that we indeed suffered with him. When Christ suffered, we suffered. Guess what else? When Christ was crucified, we were crucified. And when he died, guess what? We died. And when Christ was buried, guess what? We were buried. And when Christ descended, guess what? We descended. And when Christ was resurrected or raised from the dead, we were raised with Christ. Oh, guess what? When Christ ascended, guess who else ascended? And not only that, when Christ was seated, guess who else is seated? Well, guess what else? He was also glorified. Guess who else is glorified? What am I talking about? I'm talking about identification. You can look all throughout the New Testament. The Bible says we were buried with him. I wasn't there. You weren't there. Yet the scripture says buried with him. The Bible tells, I'm right, I'm standing here on a horizontal plane in California. You're seated in a sanctuary in California. Yet the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 6 that we are all in Christ seated in heavenly places. How can I be seated in the dome and be seated in heavenly places? Identification. You have been what? Identified with Christ. So you suffered with him, and you were crucified with him, and you died with him, and you were buried with him, and you descended with him, and you were raised with him, and you ascended with him, and you're seated with him, and you've been glorified with him. Got it? Now, let's look at the verse and see exactly what it says, face value. Notice that it says, if indeed we suffer with him, that sounds present tense doesn't sound past tense. Mind you, we did suffer with him when he suffered. But look at what it's saying right here. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now Christ is where right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where is the Father? So where is the Son? So if he's in heaven, where God is, and in heaven, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no debt, there's no lack. How can Christ currently, right now, how can he suffer? It's called persecution. As we speak, Christ is still being persecuted. When Christians are persecuted, Christ is persecuted. And this is what you need to know about life. That if you don't experience any other kind of suffering, you will, without a doubt, suffer persecution. There's a scripture in Mark that talks about the wonderful things that we can have if you or I leave our family, brothers and sisters, father and mother, if we leave all these things for Christ's sake and the gospel. The Bible tells us we will experience a hundredfold of that which we've sown. What did we sow? Our relationships. And we will experience a hundredfold. Watch what it says. Not only in the life to come, but in this one now. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It says we're going to have a hundredfold of the houses and the, and the, and the lands and, 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 and family relationships and everything. It says we're going to have a hundredfold in this life now and in the one to come. But you know what is right there with it? It says with persecutions. With persecutions. Which means that you may have reached a point in your life where you're walking by faith and not by sight. Sickness and disease think twice about stepping in your vicinity. Lack second guesses trying to come upon you, but persecution will always be there. You belong to Christ, you will forever be persecuted. We all, all in Christ suffer persecution. He says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now watch this, verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of the, this present time, they're not worthy to be compared 
with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What are the sufferings of this present time? The persecutions of this present time. But now watch this. There are Christians who are suffering other things. Why are they suffering other things? Well, the, the number one reason that they're suffering other things is because suffering is here. You're going to have to guard yourself and protect yourself from suffering. Otherwise, it's going to come upon you. It's all around you. Just like disease is all around you. Just like the curse is all around you. You know, the way the, 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 way the scriptures are worded sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, it looks like God is overtly cursing someone. You know, he says, blessing, I will bless you. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And then the scripture says, and I'll curse those who curse you. God's not really cursing those who curse you because God has no curse in them. But what he will do is he will allow the curse to come upon those who curse you. Where's the curse where God isn't? Where are you? You're in God. So you're not in the curse. Outside of God, you're exposed to the curse. And if you're in God, your disobedience to the word of God and to the will of God will move you out from under the umbrella of his protection. And now you're also with the world exposed to the curse. All those things are here as a result of what? His disobedience. So suffering is here. Christians are suffering all kinds of things all the time. There's Christians in here right now suffering. And I'm not just talking about persecution. I'm talking about uh, an ailment, uh, uh, a sickness, a uh, lack and in, in, in a lack of peace and depression and anxiety. They, they can't seem to, their shoulders are always heavy. They're, they always feel burdened. All of that is here as a result of the sin of Adam. We as Christians, because Jesus showed us when Jesus walked, why, why do you think he, he, why do you think he came? He didn't just come to die for us, but he also came to show us how to live in this earth realm. Amen. What didn't he face? According to Hebrews, there's nothing he didn't face. He overcame everything. By the power of God. Therefore, so can we. So he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Watch this now. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that tell me? That the creation, in this context, the creation must be different from the sons of God. Because it says, there's an earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, why would the sons of God need to be revealed? Well, well, well here's why the sons of God would need to be revealed, because... Everyone that enters into Christ, you don't start off as a son. You start off as a child. Everyone in Christ is a child of God, but it takes maturity to become a son of God. And if you don't think so, all you have to do is back up just a few verses. You can read it on your own. Just back up a few verses. I think it's in Romans probably... 14 and 15, somewhere around there. And it talks about the sons of God and it talks about the children of God. And if you look up the words in the Greek, two different Greek words. The word sons, by definition in the Greek, means mature. The word children, by definition in the Greek, means a little one. Still learning, still maturing. So verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Watch this. For the creation was subjected to futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Who's the creation? It's not talking about us in this context. How do we know? Look at verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. See, the children of God have already been delivered from the bondage. But there will be a point when the creation is also delivered from the bondage. Because guess what? Guess what else happened when sin entered the world? Creation was affected. Creation was affected. Plant life was affected. Soil was affected. Everything was affected when, the, when sin came into the world. The curse entered the environment. Everything. All of God's creation was affected. Look here in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until, together until now. 
Right. Not only that, not only what, not only does the creation groan, but what we also who have the first fruits of the spirit. Watch this. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. How can ourselves groan within ourselves? Spirit in body. Watch this. Your body is subjected to this environment. Some of you take pills. Some of you, you take medicine. That wasn't the will of God. From which standpoint? From before the fall? God didn't create Adam to take pills. He didn't create Adam to see doctors. He, did. he didn't. There was no sickness here. There was no death here. What you need to check up for? There's nothing to check up. Thank God for doctors. Don't get me wrong. Thank God for doctors. But that's not a reflection of what? Of the order of God. So he says what? He says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why do we ourselves groan within ourselves? Because the we on the inside has been redeemed. The we on the outside is waiting to be redeemed. How do we know that? Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Why are we waiting for the adoption when we've already been adopted? Oh, Paul continues on with what? Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Because redemption is a threefold process. Spirit man has been redeemed. Soul is being redeemed. Body will be redeemed. So that's how we ourselves groan within ourselves. Because this perfect spirit is in this flawed body, in this flawed environment. You guys still with me? You sure? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Start here with the third verse. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. You mean we Christians have tribulation? We sure do. Look, if you want to get away from tribulation, die. That's a bit harsh, but that would be your freedom and your escape from tribulation. If you don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to be tested anymore, die. You don't be tried anymore to die. Save yourself all the trouble. It's going to be with the Lord where there's no testing. Go, on, go to paradise right now. But as long as we're in this earth realm, during this dispensation, we will be tested. We will be tried. Watch this now. For every test the devil puts you through is an opportunity for God to prove you. Amen. Hallelujah. Every single time the devil's tested you, God's saying, see, you're, you're testing because you don't know anything, devil. I'm a prover. God's a prover. The devil's a tester. God's a prover. Hallelujah. Watch this now. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. See, it says a lot about a person who's gone through something to comfort one who's going through what they've went through doesn't have to be the case all the time, but it says something to that person to see someone who's overcome. Yes. Watch this. Who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Watch this. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. That's a very interesting read there. The sufferings of Christ abound in us and the consolation abounds in us. But at the same time, the suffering and the consolation abounds in us. If, if Christ abounds in you. Watch this, verse 6. Now, if we are afflicted. You see that word, if? If you find yourself in affliction. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffered. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation. Think about this. It says if I'm afflicted, it's for my consolation. If I'm comforted, it's for my consolation. Teach. Why would comfort be for my consolation? If I'm already what? Consoled. Let me read it again. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. 
For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul saying that there was a point where I was burdened beyond measure. I, I, Paul, couldn't take it. I, Paul, couldn't handle it. Maybe some of you have been there where I'm I'm about to lose it right now because I can't take this. I'm tired of this. I can't take this. Tap into the consolation. Right? How many times was Paul stressed? Numerous times. My favorite response from God was this. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, Paul was looking for something else when the grace was there. That's why the scripture says in Romans 5, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I'm always in awe of this verse because I have to ask God the question. If I'm already standing in grace, why would I need to access it? Why access something you're already in? It doesn't even make sense to access it if I'm already in it. Well, the grace of God is manifold, which means what? His grace has different colors. You know, his grace is blue, red, black, green, and yellow. Whereas we just thought it was blue. Some of you read. No, you've been delivered from, from all that. No, 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 but watch this now. His grace is manifold, which means that I can... See, when I received salvation, that was saving grace. So as a result of saving grace, I'm in his grace. But now that I'm in his grace, I no longer need saving grace because I'm already saved. But I still need grace for some other stuff. Why? I can't finish this on my own. I need some grace. And you can access that grace by faith. That's why he told Paul, you don't need anything from me. I've already given it to you. My grace is sufficient. So he says that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Even we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Watch this. God's not putting you through the suffering, but he knows you're suffering, and he knew you were going to suffer. Because nothing caught him off guard. God knew I was going to suffer. Why did he allow it? Well, God has to let some things play out in this earth room. Watch this. From day one. See, this is why it's so important that a Christian be taught. You, you don't need any more preaching. Amen. Okay, you don't need any more preaching. So listen, God, from day one, equipped you with everything you need to be successful in this life. You're walking around with the authority of Jesus. Watch this. But if you don't know how to what? If you don't know how to access it or operate in that, then it does you no good. That's why sometimes demons laugh at people trying to cast them out. Why? Because why? a demon can sense you have no idea what you're doing. A demon can sense when a Christian knows nothing about their authority. That's right. That's why he's always... You say, doesn't it just require the name of Jesus for a demon to come out? No, faith in the name. That's right. Faith in the name of Jesus. So watch this. You've been equipped with everything you need to push through and overcome the suffering that's here presently for right now. The suffering will cease, like sin will and death will and pain and, 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 and tears and sorrow, all that. That's going to cease. That, that will no longer be one day, but right now it is. So we as Christians, we have to what? We have to walk amongst it, through it, over it. We've been equipped with everything that we need to get out of a suffering situation. That's right. But if you don't know, you will suffer and suffer and suffer That's and suffer and wonder taught. why. Well, 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 the devil, he doesn't want to see you succeed in anything. Amen. You guys with me? Yeah. Look at Philippians 1, 29. Say, I have it when you have it. Amen. Philippians 1, 29. Listen to this. We're going to read it, and then we're going to go on to the next verse. And when you read it, you're going to say, whoa, Pastor, wait, what is, what is Paul actually saying here? Listen, 
Verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Wait, it's been granted? That You're considering that a grant? It's been granted to me to suffer for his sake? Well, as I said earlier, here's the one thing that we're going to always suffer, and that's persecution. But now what about this other suffering that I'm experiencing? Is that for his sake? Well, let's... Let's read some other verses later. Since you're still in Philippians, look at chapter 3. Really what Paul is showing us, he is showing us a demeanor to have in suffering. Because some of us are experiencing suffering and we think the world is over. That's it. I'm done. You give up. You don't finish the fight. You throw in the towel. What is weight training without resistance? Philippians 3, 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of my of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So you got to pay attention to these words. The verse doesn't say that the Lord caused him to suffer. What it's saying is. He suffered the loss of all things. Let me read it again. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He suffered the loss of all things as a result of who his Lord is. Are you getting that? Especially during the time that Paul was a Christian. A, 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 a Jew by birth who got saved. It's bad enough to be a Christian at this time. You know, there's that scripture that, that tells us, I believe at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. See, most people don't understand that back then being called a Christian was like being called. Uh, think of any inflammatory. Filthy word you can come up with. That, that's what a, that's what being called a Christian was, a, a Christian. Oh, you're one of those Christ followers. Let alone a, a Jew who converts. So as a result of who, if you're going to be bold about who, who your God is, if you're going to be bold about who your Lord is, be prepared for what people are going to do and how they're going to respond. He says, and, 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 and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Watch this. First Peter 4 tells us that Christ suffered for us. I'm telling you right now. Ain't nobody going to suffer like he suffered. That's right. He did that once and for all for everyone. But as I said, right now, he's still being persecuted. He's at the right hand of the father. He's still being persecuted because when the church is persecuted, Christ is persecuted. But not only that, there are also people that still persecute Christ. They, 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 they don't like what he represents. They don't like what he stands for. Some don't believe he's the son of God. How could you say God could have a son? I mean, there's all kinds of things that he's being accused of right now. The church, now hear how I say this. Not that God needs anyone to run defense for him. Not that God needs bodyguards or our protection. But in this earth room, somebody's got to speak for him. Right. Somebody's got to be bold about it. And guess what? Certain Christians may find themselves in hostile environments and they're bold about Christ. They speak up for Christ and the result could be death. That's right. Amen. You know the country. In those situations, you need to know going in, this is what you're exposing yourself to. Amen. That's, that's the reality of being saved on this earth in certain areas of the world. All right, watch this now. Look at Colossians 1.24. Colossians 1, look at the 24th verse. Listen to what he says. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, Paul's talking about his sufferings. He says, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What's Paul saying here? He's saying he suffered for us. There's, there's some persecutions and sufferings that he went through that none of us will have to go through. Paul he did that to pave a way. 
As a matter of fact, read Acts 9.17. And you'll find out that Paul, a, a, a unique individual in that, you know, he received his calling by revelation, unlike the other apostles that, that, or disciples that walked with Jesus. Paul did not walk with Jesus, but he received his apostleship and his calling by divine revelation. And he had plenty to brag about and plenty to boast about. But Paul went through a number of things. I mean, a number of things for us. I mean, he, he died. He died over, I believe it's in Acts 14. He, he was stoned to death. Of course, but he came back. That's why he brings this particular issue up in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, so he won't boast. He says, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Only God knows how he was caught up to paradise or caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. But to not brag, he worded it that way. I knew a man instead of talking about himself. So Paul, read Acts 9.17 when you get a chance. Paul had some persecutions and some sufferings that were headed his way, unique to Paul. And he did it for us. Look here, now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Oh, let's keep reading this suffering stuff. Look at... um. Yeah, I think I want you to look at Hebrews 2.9. Good, and I think we're going to look at these last, last few verses. Hebrews 2. See, here, here's, we're going to read about one who suffered, suffered in a manner in which we wouldn't have to suffer. Hebrews 2.9, are you there? Yes. Look, it says, but we see who? Jesus. We see who? Jesus. See, we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels for what? The suffering of death. Oh, get this. Listen. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For everyone. Remember, when he died, I died because of what? Identification. For sin, there is of necessity a sacrifice, an unblemished lamb. But see, in the Old Testament, lambs have no spirit. So a spiritless lamb cannot redeem a spirit being from their sin. The only thing a lamb could do was what? Atone. Watch this. Per trespass. And what's atonement? It's when your sin is covered, not done away with. God set up a system in which he wouldn't see the sin because of innocence that covered the sin. But guess what? That can only do so much. That still cannot put people in a position to be in his presence. That's why everybody who died, whether good or bad in the Old Testament, went down. And if you don't think they went down, read Luke 16. The rich man was where? In Hades, Lazarus was where? in Abraham's bosom and watch this that was not Lazarus looking all the way up to heaven no he was looking right across a great gulf now what would qualify a person to go to Hades and what would qualify at that particular time a person to go to Abraham's bosom well everyone was headed to Hades just because of what being born into sin having a sinless nature but God worked with a specific line of people and even some that would honor that line and help that line and bless that line. There were people, you know, like, like, like Rahab, who was not in the line of Abraham, but helped or blessed those in the line of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us what happens when we bless Israel. That's right. So now watch for that. So, so God would give someone an instruction. And if they obeyed his instruction, the scripture would say he accounted it to him for righteousness but there's a difference in having righteousness accounted to you and being declared it and those of us on this side of the Christ righteousness is not accounted to us we're made righteous we qualify to be in his presence all right we're making good time look here at first Peter 2 19 See, I want you to pay close attention 
You got to pay close attention to these verses that mention suffering. That's right. That's right. I looked at every single one of them. And watch this. When you do your, and see, this is my job to do it. When you do the intense study and research, you find out that while, yes, a person can find themselves suffering, it's not the will of the Lord. That's right. It's never the will of the Lord for his It's not the will of the Lord. Never. For example, look at this verse right here, 1 Peter 2.19. For this is what? Yeah. Well, what does the traditional say? Yeah. The new king says what? Commendable. Admirable. Listen. For this is commendable, <clears throat> commendable or admirable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. See, there are people that suffer wrongfully. Notice what the scripture says. It doesn't say it's its will. It says it's admirable. It says it's commendable. That's right. See, watch this now. There are those. There are those. I believe wholeheartedly that following the line of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, a, a well-versed man in, in, in the scriptures, but, but follow Stephen in the path of martyrdom. There is something commendable about that and admirable about that. Doesn't mean you need to find yourself in it, but if you do. Hmm. See, look at what it says. For this is commendable or admirable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief. There are going to be those who persecute you because of your relationship with God. That's right. For some of you, it may just be verbal. But there are Christians around this world, they're receiving more than just verbal persecution because of who they boldly proclaim and represent. Suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, listen now, this is what? Commendable. Pay very close attention. It's not saying it's his will, but it is admirable. You get that? Okay. Now stay in First Peter. Look at the third verse. I mean third chapter, I'm sorry, third chapter. Third chapter. Let's start with verse 12. Watch this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. See, that, that's you. You're the righteous. His eyes are on you. His ears are open to their prayers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whose prayers are his ears open to? The righteous. The righteous. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> from a covenant standpoint, I mean, the unrighteous can pray to God all they want. He's not qualified to have open ears. He's not required to have open ears. His eyes don't have to be on the unrighteous. When it says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. You see that? You see how it's worded? The Christian suffering now. All over the country, all over the world, going through all kinds of things, wondering when are they going to get out. See, you have to, you, you can't lose heart. You can't faint. You cannot afford to give up now. The Bible already says that there is a way of escape. The Bible all, all, also says that you can count it all joy knowing this. What am I counting it all joy? Well, that the testing or proving of my faith is going to produce patience or endurance. Amen. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I says, not weakness and fear, meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better 
if it is the will of God. Now, now, isn't that an interesting statement? Because when something is the will of God, if it's not required, if it's the will of God. Look at what he says. If it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's right. Now, what I want to do, I want to read 1 Peter 3.17 from the Amplified Bible. All right, it reads like this. It says, for it is better to suffer unjustly for doing right than to suffer justly for doing wrong. Now, sandwiched in between those two statements are the words, if it is God's will. So once again, see, see when, when you're talking about the will of God, it's not a matter of, of if, if indeed it's his will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the question is, because we already looked at a verse that apparently seems to read, if it's God's will for me to suffer, then make sure it's for good and not wrong. All right, let me read you the contemporary English version of the same verse. Bottom line, here it is. You are better off to obey God. Listen very carefully. See, that's the thing about translations. Translations are tricky. You can't just stay with one. You can't. You cannot just stay with one. Listen, you are better off to obey God and suffer for doing right than to suffer for doing wrong. See, pay attention to that. You are better off obeying God and as a result of obeying God you suffer for it that's right you see that it's better to do that than to suffer for doing wrong yes. and see in suffering suffering is a big umbrella there's a number of things that come mm -hmm. under suffering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but watch this it comes with the territory of being a Christian in this environment on this planet at this time if you obey God you're gonna suffer some things if you're not ready for it, for it, get out. You're better off getting out. All right, look at this. 1 Peter 4, 13 through 19. It says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Mm. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, watch this, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but yes, let him right. glorify God in this matter. Hallelujah. Suffer what? Persecution? But even if you're suffering other things by the hands of someone else or something else because you proclaim God boldly, let you not be ashamed. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, listen, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let me read you this verse from the contemporary English version mm -hmm. of the Bible. Listen. If you suffer for obeying God. See, if you suffer because you've obeyed him. God is not going to make you suffer when you've obeyed him. But because of suffering in the world, because of the opposition of the kingdom of darkness towards the kingdom of light or the kingdom of God, you're going to suffer when you do right. Not in every situation, not, not in every matter, but there are going to be times when somebody's going to do you wrong when you did right. Listen, if you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith in your faithful creator. Continue to do right. See, what I'm looking at here, and we're going to, we're going to close on this, on this 19th verse, it says, therefore, let those who suffer... Watch this. Therefore, let those who suffer commit their soul to him in doing good as to a faithful creator according to his will. God is not a God of suffering. He can't be a God of suffering and a God of restoration. Right? A God of, 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 of justice, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of all these things. There's no suffering. There's no covenant name that has to do with suffering when it comes to God. That's right. You know, some people like to say, you know, when they use Job all the time, 
They love going to Job. Watch this. You can't, you, you're not Job. And let me tell you why you're not Job. Because the Bible says that God looked on the earth and he didn't find anyone else like him. Job's in a class by himself. And here's what God knew. God knew exactly how Job would respond to what the devil would put on Job. People always talk about what God did to Job. God removed the hedge and said, you can't harm this boy. And what did he tell the devil to do? Don't harm him. Right? Don't afflict his body. And, and the devil was a doggone liar like he always is and put boils on him and everything. Job's attitude was right. This is what we can learn from Job. In the midst of his suffering, the boy said what? The Lord gives. <laughs> the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes. I mean, in, in a time, now, now watch this, he, he said it out of his heart. But watch this, in the time of what Job was experiencing, look at his attitude in the midst of what he was going through. But a lot of people seem to read Job 1 and Job 2 and don't read, I believe, the other 40 chapters of Job. <laughs> and there's a verse in Job 3.25 where Job makes this statement, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. In another translation, it reads like this, the thing I feared the most, which tells me that if you feared this the most, you were fearing other things. You just happen to fear this thing the most. And when you fear, you open up a door. That's right. People say, when, when, when God is, we don't, we, don't, we don't always know the ways of the Lord, and, and God is teaching you something in his suffering. No. To me, that's a blasphemous statement. That's telling me that he can't right. teach it to me in his word. That's like, that's like his word is incomplete. Right, the 67th book of the Bible is suffering or something like that. No, 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 no. Everything you need to know is from Genesis to Revelation. You need to understand that in this environment, suffering exists. It's a part of being a human on this earth, and it's even worse when you get saved. You're going to suffer persecution, and the devil is constantly trying to take you out. If a door is open in your life, he'll walk in. And watch this. If a door is not open, if all doors are closed in your life, he going to make something up. <laughs> is everything ordained of God? No. No. We read that commentary earlier. Let us be careful not to attribute things of the devil or things of sin or things of disobedience to God when it doesn't reflect his kingdom order. Amen. I know I went over a little bit, but hopefully you got a little something from that. All Saints, that is the end of this three-part series entitled, Is Everything Ordained of God? I hope you were blessed by this series. Now, next week, we will resume our teachings of 2 Samuel. So until then, be blessed. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the home page of all my podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, and I quote, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. God will give you a return on your gift of love as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.